everyone, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I'm Bill Price. And we are back at it for season four. Just kicking it off again. The boys are back in two different towns, and uh, <laughs> we're going to jump right into the mix and talk about a bunch of different games. And you said you wanted to lead off with a game before we got into the the meat of the episode even. So I'll let you take it away, Bill. Yes, yes. I actually, uh, there is a game, before we get into our our list here of something else, um, Kirsten and I have been playing lately uh, this game called Jekyll vs. Hyde um, by mm. Mandu Games. It's a small little card game. It's a trick-taking game for two players. And it is unreal good. It is really really good it's um so one player is Jekyll and one is Hyde and there's uh there's three different suits and so it's basically you're going back and forth uh you know you lead it's follow win a trick right just okay. standard trick taking stuff but the the idea is that um there's this board that has 10 spaces between it and there's a marker and the marker goes from Jekyll all the way over to Hyde, 10 spaces. And okay. it's played over three rounds. And uh, Hyde wants the largest gap between um, between the two players as far as tricks taken. And Jekyll wants uh, as even as possible. Like, uh, I think there's 10 tricks. So if you, five and five would be perfect for Jekyll. It wouldn't move at all. But if Hyde won seven and Jekyll won three, then there's a four. There's a gap of four in between there. Hmm. So it would move four spaces towards Hyde. Even if Hyde lost them. So Hyde could play low and say he wins two tricks and Jekyll wins eight tricks. Then you've got a gap of six and then it's going to move six spots. So, So basically Hyde wants as large a gap, whether he wins more or less, he doesn't care. He just wants as wide a gap between the two. And Jekyll wants to keep things e- really even. And so there's two very different strategies. As one goes for, you know, real high, real low. Um, there's an exchange of cards. And, and the thing that really makes this kind of unique amongst two-player trick-taking, obviously, are special cards. So there's these potion cards that are non-suited. And they're just basically like a 1 plus, 2 plus, 3 plus, 4 plus, and 5 plus, which means that they beat whatever that number is of any suit. Hmm. So, uh, But they also have a special power that's activated based on which suit is played against it. So okay, each suit that could be played against it has a different power. It could be swap two cards. It could be uh, steal a trick from the other player. It could be... Um, removing the uh, the hierarchy of uh, suits because basically the, the first suit that's played ends up becoming the weakest suit. And the second suit that comes out is the second weakest and then the last one to come out by default would be the strongest suit. So now all of a sudden you have every time you play you have a different hierarchy of suits. Okay. So there's a whole mess of strategy that uh, we really didn't even figure out the first few times we we played we just uh there's kind of this just underlying every time you play you just pick up on something else with it and it's uh it's very compelling and really really cool and uh it's probably one of our favorite two-player games right now yeah it looks really cool i love the art too yeah it's vincent dutrait art so oh nice that's that's tough to beat yeah so i just wanted to kind of honorable mention put that in here as uh this is a phenomenal game and uh it is probably i'm looking at my trick takers it's probably my favorite trick taking game at the moment uh i was really high on um the crew for a while i was really high on uh fox in the forest but as far as two player trick taking goes this one beats fox in the forest and i wasn't sure that we'd find anything that was a better two-player trick taker. <laughs> All right, yeah, no, that looks really cool. I really love when they 
which I think we talked about this before, like trick-taking games, when they try to reinvent it, it's either really stupid <laughs> or just ingenious. <laughs> There's no like middle ground. Right. Like, oh, that's pretty good. It's just like, wow, that was yeah. really dumb and pointless. Or, wow. <laughs> yeah, tr- trick-takers are weird because they're like that one genre where you're like, you feel like you can, you have the ability to feel like you're playing the same game. Yeah. Over and sure. over. Uh, like you get 10 trick takers together and if they're not very good, it just feels like you're playing the same game. Right. Uh, like how many times can you play spades or hearts or what have you, pinochle, um, <laughs> before it just starts to feel like you're playing the same game. But uh, but yeah, this does something very unique and uh, it just really works well together. It's really tight. The The whole design is uh, it's really impressive. Nice, nice. Uh, and that's by, oh, I never get it where to go. There we go. Who's the, who publishes it? Uh, Mandu, Mandu Games. Mandu, interesting. I don't know if I know Mandu Games. I don't, I, yeah, I definitely do not. I may have a bunch of them and have no idea. <laughs> so, that's interesting. Um, I definitely do not know Mandu. That's right. cool, cool. Yeah. Um. All right, well, let's get into our list. We have a we have a comparison list again, and that's where we we all always love comparison lists. And so, as a reflection, or uh, yeah, we're we're reflecting upon the year. We yes. thought we'd rate our uh, or not rate, just bring up and talk about our top ten plays of the last year as we remember them, or at least as I try to remember them. <laughs> and uh, But these my list is not necessarily ranked in order of best to least. They're just some great plays. Uh, how, how is your list organized? Um, honestly, mine isn't really ranked best to, to worst either. It's um, it, All 10 of these are, are very, very memorable to me for one reason or another. And... Um, I just, uh, they're, they're all, what I did is, uh, it's basically 10 games that, uh, were new to me in 2021. Uh, a lot of them are actually 2021 games. Okay. Um, but, uh, they're either new to me in 2021, uh, or, uh, I was going to have ones on my list that, uh, I had maybe played in the past and rediscovered in 2021 but uh turns out i don't have any of those so <laughs> all right uh, it's all new to me in 2021 and memorable experiences uh kind of as a whole all right cool all right well let's see do you want to kick it off yeah and uh just we're gonna do this in two parts yes. so this this will be uh this will be five and five from us because if we were to talk about 20 games, <laughs> the way that we talk about games, this is like a three-hour episode, and we don't need that. So, yeah, um, yeah. So we're gonna just just so everybody is aware, and there's no cliffhanger at the end. Uh, this is just gonna be uh, our five and five for this one, and next week we'll do we'll do five more. So, um, yeah, I'll start out. Um, my I'll call it number ten is uh, I have listed as. The Other Clevers. So, uh, <laughs> Kirsten and I played um, Ganshon Clever, or That's Pretty Clever. Um, gosh, after we moved, we probably have 100, 150 plays oh, wow. of it uh, under our belt in the space of maybe four months, three or four months, and uh, just played it and played it and played it. Still love it. Um and and just it, it it's just the 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 game where we would sit down and be like, what do you want to do? Well, let's open a beer and play clever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got I finally broke down and got uh, the other two clevers, clever cubed and twice as clever. Okay. And uh, we're sort of expecting that they would either kind of be like rehash of the same thing, or wouldn't be as good wouldn't hold up but uh we're very pleasantly surprised uh that they all three have very distinct personalities to them Hmm. and clever cubed i don't know have you played clever cubed no i've not played any of the um alternate alternates i really want to though it's clever is my wife's favorite roll and write 
Kirsten too, without question. Um, Clever Cubed is the most unique of all three in that hmm. we actually, she, Kirsten and I refer to it as the gamery clever because right. it is, if there is a an advanced dry Euro in a roll and write, it's this one. It's, um, this is not a game, uh, Gunshun, the original clever, um, I have introduced to people who are not gamers okay. or people who play very light games every once in a while. I may be able to convince them to play a, you know, card game or something, but, um, and it's gone over really well, really well. Uh, it's, it's fairly easy to pick up. Clever Cubed is not one that I would ever choose to bring out with somebody who's not pretty gamery. Uh, so, so to speak, I'm not sure how else to describe it there, but it is um, it, it is very thinky and it is substantially more complex. If uh, if Gunshun is a two, Clever Cubed is a four. Really? It's, okay. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's a jump. It, yeah, it is. It is. I'm gonna say twice as challenging. <laughs> I was um, gonna say as clever. <laughs> maybe even three times maybe even three times as clever although cubed would mean that it would actually be three times three as clever nine nine times cleverer uh but you know we don't have to go there it's probably not that (laughs) much more clever right Um, but that that is that is the advanced version if you're uh that's 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 the heavy euro version and um even though it doesn't carry euro mechanisms or anything it's kind of in that that complexity range um and twice as clever actually feels a lot like the original uh but with just a few tweaks and some some extra things to think about and and um it's just it feels like rediscovering the first one it's like it feels like when you were playing the first one in the beginning how exciting finding new combos and these things and uh, coming up with strategies and everything that learning twice as clever sort of re-sparked that feeling. Um, the complexity level isn't much different. It's kind of more just a different way to score. Uh, okay. They're all three played the same way. It's the same concept. Um, but the uh, the third one, they really went apeshit on. So uh, it's uh, it, it in order of our preference is probably to just pull out and play on any random day is one, two, three. Okay. Um, we like to play three, but, but, uh, clever cubed takes about twice as long as the other ones do. Right. And we have never, we've played the first one back to back to back to back to back over and over plenty of times. We've played the second one back to back to back, uh, you know, two, three, four times in a row. We have never played clever cubed twice at the same right. sitting huh. uh it's just at the end our minds are melted right and we're just like i can't i'm like no if we're gonna play something we have to play a different one um but it's really good all cool. three of them are really really good and they all scratch slightly different itches and uh it's just like the the familiarity of one is comforting um right the the excitement the newness of two is kind of still there um, and then three is just if you're just in the mood to, to burn some brain cells, that's uh, <laughs> it's there for you. So that's uh, that's my I'll call it number 10 uh, new to me in 2021. Um, that's really captured me. And that's the other clevers. All right. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm definitely going to pick those up. I've been I kind of forgot about the expansions, but um but yeah, like my like I said, my wife loves this game as well. I really like it too. We we tend to bring that one out. We have two go to um, roll and writes that we think are really accessible, depending on how much experience as a gamer you have. And I think the regular clever is pretty accessible, even if you have basic gaming experience. But we we regularly travel back home to visit our older parents, <laughs> and we want to get a a quick little game. They like you know they like dice games or typical card games and that is when we break out quicks so quicks and clever are like our two easy to get to the table roll and writes for people who don't necessarily game 
but um, we prefer clever. <laughs> I really love yes. quicks, but I definitely prefer clever. Uh, so I feel like I'm going to be picking those up. Uh, my should. number 10 is um, – oh, I just put a li- – there we go. I put this. Uh, my number 10 is a game I just got recently, and I am still not sure exactly how I feel about it. I like it. But I uh, part of it, I think, is the expectation I was thinking it might be something else, sort of. I, I do enjoy it, but I want to get more plays out of it. I've only played one short game that we had to stop with my family, and then another game where at game night I was uh, – and was um, uh, and not entertaining is the wrong word, but playing with uh, completely new – members of a game group who didn't have experience in a lot of games. And so I feel like I haven't yet to have a really good play of this. And that is Remember Our Trip. Uh, Remember Our Trip is a game from the design teams Ashi and Sashi. They are husband and wife design team. Uh, but this game, they've, they've done a lot of games together, but this game specifically, they partnered with Daryl Chow to get this game out. And Daryl Chow, if you're not aware of him, is a really cool game designer. He has, he designed one of a game that I don't own, but I really love that you introduced me to, which is Overbooked. Um, oh, yeah. That, that's him. And he also did Artemis Project. He is uh, in the lead designer for Origami or Origame. I don't know how you pronounce that, but that uh, uh, publisher. But he's also very a huge proponent of getting um, Asian games into Western markets and just Asian games and culture in general. And so he's a really cool game designer. Whenever he's part of a project, it usually is something that I really like. Like he he's, seems to be really good at like polishing mechanisms and um, being a really um, great voice in the design process. So uh, they partnered with him to do this game. And remember, our trip is a game about a trip. Um, basically. All the players are a group of friends that took a trip recently to one of two cities, either Kyoto or um, Tokyo. And you are sitting together recollecting about your memories of the city that that you went to. And so you're trying to remember the layout of the city together. And you have your own board, which represents your memories of the city. Each player has their own board. And then in the center of the table is a board that looks like yours but it is the actual reality of what the city uh landmarks are and so what happens is each round there is going to be a tetris shape that comes out and a certain number of um chits that come out and those chits are going to reference landmarks in the city so a restaurant a shop a hotel um a park uh a big like monument like um an amusement park or a uh I don't know, in Japan, one of those old castles, those beautiful giant wood castles, um, but only one piece of it. So you're going to slowly build that memory each round. And so you start building your memory on your board. As soon as you complete the Tetris shape needed for that specific type of building, you can confirm that memory on the main board. So let's say I build a hotel, and hotels are pretty easy. There's only two shapes. There's either a straight three uh, a line made of three chits in a line or an L shape of three chits. Um, I can say, Hey, I am positive. I just clarified this memory of a hotel. You flip the chits over and they score points for that. And then if you match the memory, main memory board, you score additional points for that. And of course, if you're the first one to clarify this memory, you're going to match in the middle. And so it's a really cool, fun game of um, trying to race to create these shapes and then your own memories on your board and then the reality of the memories on the main board. And if you're falling behind, you can still make the memory on your board and match an existing memory on the main board and still get points for both of those things. Uh, You don't necessarily have to solidify the memory on the main board um but it's really cool because you can have a flawed memory on your personal space and still score points for it it just won't score as many points as if you're matching the reality of what kyoto was like and i really love that i just love that as someone who has a terrible memory i really love that idea that my memory is valid by god even though it's heavily flawed (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) so this game spoke to me right away before i played it huh um, but I just, it's such a, they're, Asashi and Sashi are such an interesting design team because they, they tackle really interesting themes. And, um, I think, Didn't yeah, they we do in front of elevators and let's make a bus route. Yes, exactly. Those are both theirs. Um, 
Front of Elevators is another great game uh, that I really enjoy. And it's just very quirky, but somehow extremely thematic games that really, you know, it's, they're abstract. They're very Euro, but they really hit their themes uh, surprisingly well. And so this game of faulty memories and, and clarifying memories, I just love that idea. And it really feels like you're just all trying to mull over, well, wait, I think there was a shop here, so I'm going to put it there. <laughs> Um, but you're not really sure, and you're really just trying to score the shapes and points. Um, it just fits so well, and it's such an interesting experience. So I really huh. am excited to get a, a really solid playthrough of this with some um, friends or at game night with people who are you know a little more gamer experienced and would uh, appreciate the design developments of this. Um, but I really liked it. Either way, I think it's a great game, a really cool design, and uh, it was a real fun experience just to try to see this game. It's always a unique experience with their games. So this was my number 10, Remember Our Trip. Okay. Well, that it it looks really pretty, actually. Isn't that neat? Yeah. So the, uh, the yeah. I, sure. I keep saying the husband and the wife, but I don't remember their first names. The husband is the main designer for mechanisms, and the wife is the artist. And so she does all the art for all of their games. And so huh. they all have the kind of similar, you know, pencil or, uh, yeah, pencil, not not pencil line, but uh, ink line and colored in a look. And it's just kind of a cute, quirky look to all their stuff. But I, it's all hand-drawn, and I really love it, too. Oh, huh. nice. Um, well, my number nine is, uh, is Cascadia. Ooh. And I don't know if you've – have you played Cascadia? I have not. It sounds beautiful. Have you, have you seen Cascadia? I have not. It sounds like a magical it land. Is, it is beautiful. So, um, basically, it's. Uh, have you uh, have you ever played Calico? Uh, I have seen Calico. I have not played Calico. It is basically kind of. Uh, it, it's a lot of the same mechanisms as Calico, but uh, less punishing. Okay. So, uh, Cascadia is. Uh, it's it's pretty welcoming game. It's. Uh, I, I'd almost call it. I'd. I'd call it a gateway. It's uh, it's very accessible, uh, super quick to set up, um, and basically uh, it just involves drafting. So you're you're drafting um, a uh, land tile, which is a little land hex, and a um, a wildlife marker. So it's okay. like a circular disc that has like an eagle on it, or a bear, or a wolf, or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the, the idea is that uh, they're in pairs. So you, you draw them from the bag. So you have uh, one tile and then one, um, one land tile and one wildlife tile. And so you draft a group of them. So you, you draft one and one. Uh, so it kind of influences you whether you want, you're like, you may really need a bear, but the terrain tile you have has a wolf paired with it. So you're like, well, shit, do I want to... I guess I could take that and then maybe try and get a bear later, or I could get this bear over here, but it's tied to this other. I'd have to take this train tile that I don't really need. Um, so there's kind of a good decision space there as far as trying to work out which uh, which combination works best for you on both sides. Uh, and you score points based on... Um, grouping similar land masses together and and each tile will have like three different uh two or three different um uh terrain types on them and so so it's kind of how you arrange them to try and get bigger uh spots but the um the terrain tiles have on them uh a certain number like this this terrain tile might be half desert half mountains and uh, it can hold an eagle, a bear, or a wolf, but not any of the other things. So, uh, so that kind of dictates where you can put uh, an animal and where you can put a um, the train tile. The train tile you can put anywhere you want, but it may mess up your hmm. your landmass or what have you. And uh, the way it scores is you have these cards up top um, that are uh, one for each animal. And it might be like um, the bear scores five points for every group of four in a line that you have. Or um, if you have for for every uh, bear that you have that's uninterrupted in a straight line, you get a point for each one or something like that. Um, Okay. Or like uh, 
if you have two eagles that are that have exactly one hex in between them then you get three points or something like that right and yeah. you can score it as many times as you have that available on your your layout okay and um and so at the end you just score based on each of the animals cards and then uh based on largest land masses oh cool of, of each train type so it's uh it's pretty simple scoring it's uh the, the more you play it's not constricted in that you don't have a limited area you could build you could build your hexes out in a straight line all the way across the table if you wanted to <laughs> um that would be real weird but uh there's no shape to the landmass unlike calico which is like kind of on this grid and you sort of get yourself into a corner um cascadia just gets more and more open and gives you more options the more you play it uh, the okay. further into the game you get, the more expansive it gets, and the more options you get, and the and so that that's I I really really liked it a lot. Uh, it's really pretty. It has fun decision space without being super brain burning, but at the same time, it's not so light it floats away. You know what I mean? Right, right. So like I could see you and I sitting down and playing it and having fun. I could also yeah. see me and somebody who you know hasn't really played anything else maybe has played you know a game of ticket to ride or something or played Catan back in high school or something uh being able to sit down and and very easily explain and play this game yeah it looks really cool i, I love that idea so the cards the scoring cards are they a communal you're all trying to score that or are they your individual yes yeah you're okay. all trying to score it and each each animal has alternate scoring too so you can you can kind of choose i think there's like four cards for each animal so you can kind of pick a different one for each animal um so so you can have variable scoring in each one it's not like every single time you play you have to score the same same ones oh that's cool i love how like that um uh, aligned they are with like how the animals would actually function so there's like you know bears the one that i'm looking at is um bears score per group of bears that aren't next to any other bears like they don't want to be around bears <laughs> and the foxes have to be near unique adjacent animal pairs so they have to eat a variety of different things that's really cool yeah it's uh they they all score really uniquely and uh and really interestingly and it's very well balanced too like sometimes you're like man it's gonna be real hard to make this happen but if you do it's eight points instead of oh this is going to be really easy but for everyone you do it's one point so it's yeah. very balanced as far as what you go after and huh. kind of how you position things and it's uh it, it it's really nice and and the reason it kind of takes that that it stands out in my head as being like one of my best plays of the year is just how accessible it is right and i'm always excited to find games that i feel like could bring people into the hobby that people who don't play a lot of board games if any could still sit down and have a nice time with without thinking oh my god what what are we doing here <laughs> uh, it's visually appealing enough to be fun to look at um and engaging enough uh because you're still you're kind of looking up there while other people are taking your turn you're kind of looking at what what sorts of things you might need. Here's a, I think you'd really use this train over here, but if a bear shows up somewhere, I really want it. Um, and so you're constantly, there's not a ton of downtime and the turns are so fast uh, because you don't care what they do with it. Somebody drafts and then you can draft. You don't right. care if they, you don't have to sit there and watch them put their stuff on there. Um, so you're constantly busy and engaged and so, so it takes some of the, the boring downtime out of it. There's no player elimination. There's really no take that except for the, the potential for taking something that somebody else wanted. But, huh. uh, but there are ways to mitigate that too. If you don't like anything up there, you can pay uh, a pine cone, I think it is, uh, to clear the board and put out new stuff. So um, so there's, there's options and there's, there's just fun stuff. And it's, it's, uh, it's good. Cool. You should, you should play. Yeah, I'm, see if I can find it. it. Was that? Did you kickstart it? Is that how you got it? No, I got it at Target. Oh, you did? Oh, pff, I sure did. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah, that looks really good. I, I definitely want to. I'm going to take a look at. Yeah, it's uh, it's mass market, something. so it's pretty easy to find. You should be able to find it on Target or Walmart or Amazon or obviously okay. any of the any of the game stores online, like Cool Stuff or Game Nerds or anything like that. I'll have it. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to check that one out. Cascadia. Yeah, that looks right up my alley. It reminds me of. Um, uh, well, Beth Sobel is a great game artist, but it reminds me of a little bit of Parks and illustration wise. I love that. Um, uh, when you like walk in the woods feel when they really get the art right. <laughs> it's so good oh, yeah. with games. Cascadia. All right. Uh, my number nine is a game I actually just played last night. And I, I've heard of this game for a while. It's an older game, but I'd never played it. And um, we were trying to find a game that seated seven people. And we just, uh, my friend who's hosting the night was like, oh, hey, I've got this one. And that is Ladies and Gentlemen. Uh, ladies, and have you played this one? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I've ladies, never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I remember Tom Vassell talking about this one um, at some distant time period. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, is <laughs> it's great. It is overtly sexist, but you have to lean in to it. And okay, so the premise is there's actually two games going on um, during the daytime. The there are a side of the table. So basically you play as a team as, with a couple, quote unquote, you and another person. And the premise is during the daytime, um, the men of the couple, quote unquote, are in the stock market trading goods and services and selling them and earning money so that in the evening uh, oh, in the day and in the daytime, the women, quote unquote, are shopping for dresses to go to a ball. <laughs> and in the <laughs> In the evening, after the stock market closes, the women uh, turn over to the men the cards that they want to, or which represent the items in the market that they really want to buy. And the men can or cannot buy them one, a few, or all of them for the women. Uh, for for the women. And the whole point of it, at the end of six days, there is a ball, and the women have to go to the ball, and they have to they they have to at least own a dress to go to the ball course and then they can accoutrement themselves with many other things and each of those piece of clothing uh scores points and then they can recruit servants to their cause and the servants are like secret gold multipliers for those points as well um and it's so it's just so overtly sexist so you have to lean into it our game uh all the men were played as the women and all the women played as the men's side and it was really fun so i had beautifully dressed myself for the ball and i lost only by one point but i was very oh. proud of our our uh, couple team uh, we lost only to the uh, the person who owned the game so i felt pretty proud of that um but it's it's just stupid and silly <laughs> and really fun and it's too that sounds two ridiculous games, it's really fun because <laughs> two games happen currently because you can't talk directly to your uh, you know this is like uh victorian era couples so they don't communicate directly they they just sort of make demands of each other and so you can't tell your significant other exactly what dress or jewelry or gloves you want you can only suggest what you need by giving them either one card and that's very clear but you might give them a few cards because you have some servants that are going to give you bonuses for one or all of those cards and so you have to kind of insinuate what you might need but you can never be overtly direct with it and they're they're of course trying to manage the money and stressing out that they can't afford everything that you're demanding of them <laughs> but they're <laughs> but they love you so they're trying to buy as much as they can for you and then uh <laughs> so they're they're sweating in the stock market and you're demanding uh, all these baubles and dresses and it's just really fun and uh, so the two events happen concurrently the morning stock market and the morning shopping spree happens uh on each side of the table depending on who you are and then the evening um is kind of the where they come together and uh the women submit the cards to be purchased and the men count their money and try to figure out if they can afford it and if they can uh if they have to save should save money for another day to afford something better potentially um, and it's great because money is useless at the end of the game. So you, you spending it, you want to spend it, but you also don't want to be too short in how much money you can have in case you really need something um, towards the later round. So it's a really fun and interesting dynamic, and I really, <laughs> really enjoyed it. It was pretty cool. Huh. Uh, I, I think it's hard. It's I don't think it's in print anymore, but I bet this is one that you'd probably see at like a game store back shelf or a thrift store or something like that. And I rec recommend picking it up if you can get a group together to play it. 
Um, one other thing it does that's really cool is that if you have, obviously you're a couple, so that is an even number of players. If you have an odd number of players, the odd player out um, is the courtesan. And the courtesan has been having an affair with all of the gentlemen. <laughs> and so the gentlemen oh. not only have to buy gifts for their wives, they also have to secretly buy, not secretly, it's over on the table, but basically in the theme, they have to buy gifts for the courtesan. So she wants to attend the ball as well. Um, and if they don't buy her any gift, they automatically lose because at the, at the ball, she will uh, shame them by declaring what they've been doing after in the dark uh, when his wife didn't know. Um, oh. So she can totally tank your team. So you really have to pay attention to her as well. And if she, uh, she could, so she's trying to win the ball as well in her own way, but she can get purchases from any of the, um, the gentlemen at the table. So it's a really interesting dynamic that you have to try to f- navigate through as well. So it's just a huh. really fun and silly design. <laughs> it's just really silly. That sounds so ridiculous, but I, but fun, but yeah, fun yeah. But with the right crowd, I would imagine. Exactly, yeah. You have to write the crowd. And it plays up to 10, so it can get just Holy insane. Holy <laughs> Wow. So, so I uh, highly recommend checking it out if you can get your hands on it or have someone. Or maybe, I, you know what, I bet the good place to find this one would be at a like board game bar or a board game um, rest, restaurant that has a lot of libraries of board games. I bet this one's in there somewhere. Uh, and it's pretty accessible. It's only two weighted at 2.06 on BGG, hmm. so pretty easy to get into. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, my number eight is uh, Whistle Mountain. So I know we've talked about this previously, uh, so I won't go into too much detail. But basically, you are kind of building the scaffolding. That's uh, polyomino scaffolding. And the scaffolding has different powers on it and the way that you form them and then later place your blimps which are your workers you have a big one two and three uh, space blimps Uh, and where you place them whatever they're touching is on the scaffolding they can do that power so you're kind of building like uh, it's like building your own worker placement spots as you go Okay, And then you can also buy these machines that you can put on the scaffolding that you could also uh, touch, basically, with your workers. And then when you get all your powers and you set off this machine, and it might set off another machine, and it just uh, it's this big kind of almost engine-building type of worker placement uh, that there's so much going on, uh, and it's substantially more complex than... Uh, the art would have you think it looks all kind of cute and sort of like light and breezy but it's (laughs) it's really really not um but it is uh it's really really fun uh kirsten i enjoyed it a lot and um it's uh it's a good one whistle mountain cool yeah i remember us talking about it before it looks super cool i love all the meeples yeah yeah it's got a a lot of really cool maples and just just the way the uh that you you lay out the scaffolding and kind of <laughs> create these like little nooks and crannies that uh there's there's really good spots and and sometimes you kind of create a good spot in order to get somebody else to play there because you really want this other really good spot for you and so you're kind of like hey look what I did over here don't look <laughs> over there and so there's never like a really bad spot to put your guys. So which is kind of the the fun part is that when you build something, if somebody takes that spot, it's not the end of the world. So yeah. it's uh, it it really does balance out well. You're not just doing stuff to benefit other people. You there's always something good you can do. Cool. Really bright. I love the color, like the brightness of the colors too. <laughs> That's really cool. yeah. And it's got this mechanism where. Um, the water right excuse me the water rises too and can wash your meeples out uh your your workers uh down and drown them in the um the lake and you can <laughs> rescue them uh or you cannot rescue them but um you probably want to rescue them are you benevolent god or not right <laughs> that's cool so. nice 
All right, Whistle Mountain. And who's that by? That's by... Uh, Bezier Games. Bezier Games, okay. Oh. Scott Caputo. Um, cool, Whistle Mountain. All right, my number eight is a uh, game that we've also talked a little bit about, and um, but I really enjoyed it, and that is Furnace. So I've gotten a few plays of Furnace over the this year, and I've really just really enjoyed this game so furnace is a an auction game it's a bidding game but it is you know we've talked about this before how auction games can be or bidding games can feel i don't know like uh, winner take all kind of like there's there's no way to catch up if you're behind or if you're just not good at planning out auctions you're not used to or you're comfortable in that system it just feels like you're left behind you're just going through the motions furnace i feel structured in a really great way that feels like you always have um it's anybody's game all the way up to the end it's a short game and the way the bidding is done really opens up options for anybody to profit even on a a bid that they lost they're going to get something so it's kind of that game where you're always rewarded in some way it doesn't really punish you it rewards you in some way and it's going to be a varying level of reward but one way or another you're going to be able to build a strategy around it and additionally to that each player has a power um have you played this one i know last time we talked i can't spoiler this is my number seven is it really oh that's so funny <laughs> it is <laughs> all right well that leads well into you so i'll just touch on a little bit and then you can take over um yeah i just really love this game i i you know initially played it. i love i always love industrial um 18, 19th century themed games and some better than others but this one does a great job of minimal design great iconography great art a very cool balance of abilities. Although I will say, I think one of the abilities is a little overpowered <laughs> compared to the others, but, um, but just the bidding mechanisms and the way that you can, you know, get a card to build your engine or just get resources. If you lost the bid to the value of bid that you place there is a really cool, uh, problem to solve each round that you have to think about or strategy to build each round. So I love Furnace. I definitely recommend everyone to check this out. This one's by Hobby World, and Ivan Lashin is the designer. Uh, so you, take it away. Tell me about your seven and your thoughts on Furnace. Yes. Uh, Furnace was actually one uh, I got based on your recommendation, but was not 100% convinced because I don't always love bidding games. Yeah. Um, however, I have a absolute sweet spot in my heart and i've firmly decided that engine builders are quite possibly my favorite games of all time sure sure. um i love the idea of slowly but surely building up this machine that you just you can every, every time you know you go through the bidding process and that that's fun the way they do it is fun because you're not always looking at uh, I really want to. I want to win that factory. Sometimes right. you're bidding because you don't want to win the factory. You just need, you know, material, or you you need whatever the compensation is. And yeah. sometimes it's a bummer when you win it. And people at the table can really get you too because they may know. Okay, <laughs> he he really he wants. I can see what he wants, and I'm going to make him take that. I'm going to make him t- win the, the factory. <laughs> and sometimes you don't want the factory because you're like, this factory's garbage. But yeah, <laughs> but I really want the compensation. So it's just this fun kind of like, how do you position your bids appropriately to get what you want, uh, get the compensation you want, but still get the factories that you want. And um, and then that, that whole piece where you just run the whole factory and you're like this gives me this which gives me this which lets me spend this to get this and this gives me this and you go all the way down the line and by the end of it you're like yes that felt so good <laughs> so it just good, yeah yeah it's just this whole process that you're just every time you run it through you're just like man that was awesome right and it runs quickly from the beginning too because yeah. uh it's uh and i've really i've played this two two player a lot and then i've played it three and four player i think twice each um but two players probably nine or ten times and i yeah. really like to two player a lot in that um your engine gets going quickly in the beginning sure um and i i really like the way they ai the third player 
uh, in, in a two-player game. It's super easy to play, and it makes sense, and it just it feels good. Uh, it feels like you're playing with, with more players, but you, you immediately have a couple of cards, even after the first round. You have some cards to run through that machine, and then the second round, and, then the, and, and you're just building up these, this great factory, and it's just very rewarding, and it just feels like you're always really just doing something. And that's what I love the most about engine builders in general, is just that, that feeling of, now I can do more. And then in the next turn, I can do so much more. And by the time you're at the end, you're like, man, remember when I could only do like two things? And now I'm doing like 30 things. Right. And it's just, I, I love it. And that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Furnace literally blew me away. Uh, it was astounding. Yeah. The, the, the engine you can build really is one of the most satisfying engines I've ever built in engine building games. It just is so satisfying that's so cool the interconnectivity that you could develop in there it's really great yeah and the iconography is is great it's very simple um i i was a little worried about that i i had watched a video of it before i bought it and i was like man he's talking about what this stuff does but i don't know if i'm gonna if that iconography is gonna make sense but like after the first time you play it you're like oh yeah it yeah totally totally makes sense yeah, uh, and it's, like, oh. <laughs> it's yeah, it's very easy to read, and it's it. You understand what every card does and how it benefits you, and and it's just uh, such a simple engine and such a simple bidding mechanic that I I can't fathom why this hasn't hadn't been done a hundred times so far. It, I know, it's right? Just it's one of those so simple and perfect, and you're like, how how did nobody think of this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. One of those where you're like, God, this is so obvious. This, this is the direction bidding game should go. But yeah, yeah, super amazing game. All right. Well, I guess that's back to me for my number seven. So I yes. will throw out uh, a gameplay of this is kind of a revisit game. And that is King of Tokyo Dark. So oh. uh, King of Tokyo came out with the Dark Edition in 2020. And the Dark Edition is a collector's edition, a limited edition. Um, I think they've expanded that because this game is very easy to get still. So it said only 100,000, but I don't I, – I feel like if that's worldwide, <laughs> I feel like they probably did another printing of this because I, I got mine pretty easily. Um, but uh, King of Tokyo Dark is basically King of Tokyo, but they did a collector's edition polish on it. So all the components are – uh, upgraded the dice are these re- really milky cool color looking dice and the it's, it takes place at night so the board has been rethemed as if the monsters are attacking at night and they're all redesigned they all the art is redone in really cool ways and that's great but the reason i bought it is because it does one amazing thing to tweak the game to make it feel much more fleshed out and i really love king of tokyo i have king of tokyo i have the power up edition we play it a lot in my house um, it's one of my son's favorite games. But what King of Tokyo Dark added was a mutation track. I don't know if that's exactly the right word for it. But basically what happens is it lets you use triple ones as more than just one point. In the base game, the way it's kind of Yahtzee rules, you get three rolls of six dice and you try to create combos to either attack your enemies, earn health, or earn straight up points with the numbers one, two, or three. And you have to have three of those numbers to score that number of points. So if you had three threes, that's three points. Two three twos, that's two points. Three ones is one point. And of course, the problem with that is three ones for one point is really a horrible roll. <laughs> like it's not very efficient. You're <laughs> right. never going to go for it. And it's just pointless. But now if you roll three ones, you get your one point, but you jump up two spaces in this mutation track. And if you roll three twos, you get the two points and you jump up one space in this mutation track. And the way mutation works is at three different levels on the track, it goes up to one through ten, you mutate. And it's similar to the power-up cards, um, except there's a limited number in the game. Uh, I think there's only five, maybe six in each stack. And there's two-sided, so you can choose how which mutations you're going to play with, a combination of mutations to play with, and they are tiered. So level one is not as, as good, but not as good as level two and not as good as level three. Uh, and once you get the mutation track, suddenly you have this power-up 
op- this mutation that you've done that increases your monster's ability, and it makes rolling three ones viable. And so it just made the game feel more fully fleshed out in general. And then they also changed a lot of the power-up cards, if not all of them. And um, the art style is really cool, and it's still very affordable. So King of Tokyo Dark really changed the game, and I think made it a much more fuller game uh, than it already was. So I really love this edition, and I think it's worth having it in my collection. Uh, I would say this usurps the original edition, but I still use components from the original edition in this game, and I'm glad I bought Dark. I think I think it makes me enjoy the game more. <laughs> so I'd check this one out. Oh, I definitely will. That that sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, the the original is is very fun. Very yeah, fun it's a classic sure. at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, my number six and final for the day. Or the evening, or whenever you're listening to this, um, it's evening now for me. But um, is a game from another game from Bezier Games, oddly enough, um, called Maglev Metro. All right, Maglev Metro, and it is. It just came out this year, and it is so good, so good. It's beautiful. The components are absolutely stunning they have these clear tiles that have routes on them uh like road basically and uh you can overlap them so that you can see all of the different routes uh so players can can build routes uh for these subway lines it's kind of in the future and it's this um the maglev is uh magnetic levitation train basically they're just my the light rails basically sure. and um so that's uh and it's double-sided map there's uh i think berlin and new york i think is the other one um and at first it starts out as you're going around and you're you have these robots and uh when you get a robot you put him uh, you put them on your upgrade board and each robot will allow you to do something better each one you get so maybe you can move an extra space in the next turn or maybe um you can hold more people on your train or maybe you can uh build an extra train route uh an extra track um so so and it keeps going so so there's like all these different upgrades you can build and every time you it's basically a pick up and deliver game so every time you pick up and deliver these robots you get upgrades and then you introduce uh as you upgrade you one of your upgrades can be introducing different types of passengers so you've got commuters and you've got um i think students and several i think there's four different colors four or five different colors of people the people then as you transport them from wherever they are to the area um, the area that they need to go which you would build you're building these areas and you're building tracks around those areas and um, when you pick them up and drop them off you get them and then you can use them to upgrade other things that the robots can't upgrade so and you use them to like score points and so the robots let you upgrade your train and your abilities to do things and the people basically let you upgrade point scoring and it's just this really neat balance of building things and transporting people and robots and what upgrade do i use this for this if i put it here then i can hold I can hold more people, but if I put it here, I can build more track. Uh, so which one's more beneficial? And you want to do everything, but you can't. Right. And it's just, it's fascinating. Uh, and it's very engine building as well, because every turn as you get these new robots and these people, you can do more stuff. Okay. So you become more powerful as the turns go on, and you're upgrading this, and you're upgrading this, and you're upgrading this, and now all of a sudden you can... Uh, you can transport these meeples around and go faster and drop them off and get more stuff to do stuff even faster and more and better. And it's just, it's 
really really fun uh i thoroughly enjoy it 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 it's I don't want to say it's super complex, but it's not light at all. Um, it's fairly, fairly complex. I, I would give it kind of a medium weight, uh, but it's uh, hmm. it's really pretty. Uh, the components, it looks super cool. Yeah, the components set it apart more than anything. The uh, just those uh, those transparent tiles, and then the uh, the cars, the, the I guess they're trains. That uh, that actually hold the meeples in them, and it's uh, it's really neat, really neat. Uh, cool. And and uh, yeah, Kirsten really liked it too. So it's uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I I've really only played it with two, uh, but I hear that it scales very well. It's so interesting. It's such a tiny board. It's not a huge board. No. Um, it it's it's actually the the board I think is bigger than it looks in pictures. It it takes okay. up a decent amount of space, but there's not a ton of like hexes on the board. It looks yeah. uh, it's because the hex tiles are good size. I mean they're okay. like pretty pretty good size, almost like palmier hand size. So um, it the board doesn't look as big as it actually physically is. I think in real life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that looks pretty cool. Magla Ventura. The art is great. I love the art. Oh, you can play solo yeah. too. Yes, it can. In fact, I am potentially going to play that solo this weekend, <laughs> along with a bunch of other things. <laughs> All right. Well, my number six is um, a game that. Uh, this is uh no this isn't a revisit um this is a reprint is what i meant to say or not a reprint it's an offshoot of another game and that is brussels 1847 and uh this oh, is that's a, a good one yes i really love this game so brussels 1847 is, or 1897 i'm sorry is a uh reimagining of brussels 1893 so this game came out in 2019 and I think pretty sure this last year was when I no I know I bought it this last year <laughs> um, came out in 2019 and it is uh, basically trying to recapture that 1893 I've never played it in 1893 but my understanding is that it tries to slim down and kind of um, get to the core of that game and uh, uh, still get the the same feel and as far as I know not having played the other one it does a great job of that. Uh, it's a game where you are you are a, an architect in Brussels 1897. This is a period of time in Brussels where architects and uh, mansions and the city and uh, townhouses were ornately designed in the style of the day, and they were actually creating their own style of the day in Brussels, and it was a mecca for architecture and design and art. And so you're an architect, and you are at the core trying to build buildings to increase your renown and, of course, your points. But you're also getting involved into the art deal se- dealing scene like you would if you were an Cat art- architect at the time. You are trying to curry favor with the royalty there to get uh, benefits um, of various types. You're also trying to... Um, let's see. Go, you go to different locations throughout Brussels and the... Uh, I'm sorry... In yeah no in Brussels and then uh, locations is specifically in the market I guess is what they call it I'm not really sure how they gauge that but you're like going to market to get these things uh, to buy art to sell art to um, buy material building materials to build buildings to straight up just earn some money. Um, then you're going into town to uh, <laughs> release your junior architects from jail because they've been doing some underhanded dealings, which I always think is funny for this very aristocratic game. And uh, you're also – the way you buy art from the market is a multiplier at the end of each round on points scored because you're trying to build crests. There's just a lot of things going on in this game. It's not a point salad game, I would say, but there's a lot of ways to earn points in whichever way you choose to approach it. And it's really. It's I would say structure. I'd say it's. Would you call it a point, point salad? Uh, yeah. Well, it's point I, I salad e. I guess is what. It's I would not say. point salad like like a Stefan Feld game is point right. salad, but it's That's, it's point salady in that there are a lot of different ways that you can can do it, and everything I have heard does say that this game mirrors the original very well, 
while cutting down on some of the bloat. Yeah. And yeah, I played this game with you, and I got destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> destroyed. This, yeah, yeah. it did not go well for me, but I really, really enjoy the game. Uh, good yeah. good pick on this one, for sure. Yeah, it's just a cool – it's really cool design. It's all in cards, too, so that can be, I don't know, plus or minus, depending on your opinion. There is no – the central tableau, the market you make with a grid of cards, and um, – uh, you know, I, I I think that's pretty clever in that it slims down the game's size and creates, um, you know, the cards have two faces, and a lot of times you're using those two faces in different ways for the game. So I just really love this game. I thought it was a, a great one. I've never played um, – I, I love the theme. I love the art. I like the style. I hadn't played anything that aligns exactly all these mechanisms together in this way, and I think some of the things it does, it does uniquely and originally. But uh, I just really, really enjoy this one. So Brussels 1897 would be my number six. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. See how we've talked about a bunch of good ones. Yeah, yeah, we Sorry. did. We got some good yeah. good selections for the first half of this uh, list. Yes, <clears throat> yes, for sure. All right, everybody. Well, that is going to call it, do it for us, too, because that is about time for us to bow out and uh, leave you hanging and wanting more for the next part of the list. <laughs> yes. Um, but you can get a hold of us, of course, in a couple different ways and let us know uh, anything, any your thoughts on this list or some suggestions, or at least we'd love to hear what you guys have played this year that really struck you or was a great experience or a refreshing experience that you revisited, perhaps, um, at Twitter and Instagram at Roasted Games one You can also go to, uh, let's see, where our multitude of ways. You can find us on Facebook, of course, at Roasted Games, and uh, you could go to are uh, where else we normally i think those are the main ones let's just stick with um, those let's not make it over <laughs> yeah yeah that's if if you don't have one of those things yeah then i'm surprised you're listening to us <laughs> right exactly yeah <laughs> yeah that's okay uh, yes. um, but reach us reach out to us as we're starting up again with this season we'd love to hear from you guys and, and touch base and see where you are all at with your plays um, and then get some ideas for uh, things that we can talk about we have a ton of the games to talk about but we're always welcoming any more ideas and concepts that you guys would love us to cover so feel free to reach out and thank you so much for listening to this one and we'll catch you on the next episode bye <laughs>